0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with guest pastor Char Broderson.
1: The question is, how do we as followers of Jesus keep the mental fortitude to stay clear on our identity and calling? How do we stay clear, headed? Where did Paul get this? And how can we have that same resoluteness to not be ultimately moved by what others think of us or even what we think about ourselves?
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Char Broderson continues our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Char begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in a message titled, Who is it all for? And now here's Pastor Char. So, as you
1: probably all know, we're teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. Our theme is everyday discipleship. And I don't know if this is for you or if this is just for me, but I kind of have a sort of a liturgy that I do with a book is I just kind of walk through some of the basic tenets of it. So I'm going to do that before we get into our main text this morning. So like I said, it's good for us. It's good for me to remind us that this is a letter written to a local church. A church that was in the midst of the Roman Empire. And so just like any church in any time or any place, there were victories, but there were also defeats. There were clear signs that God and his kingdom were at work among them. There were also glaring inconsistencies with the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom, Jesus himself. Remember, the Corinthians, they had just such clear evidences of the deep roots of their former lifestyle, and especially the lifestyle of Corinth. And so it had been reported to Paul by the household of Chloe that there were all sorts of issues going on in the church, and that the church was experiencing social, spiritual, and sexual problems, that members were pitting themselves against one another, the congregation against Paul. And so it feels like Paul has a laundry list of issues that he just needs to kind of bring up, boxes that he needs to check with the Corinthians. But these are really symptoms of the greater disease, and that is that the Corinthians had failed to understand the real-life implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's where Paul really has been camping out in this first section of Corinthians. See, the community of believers in Corinth were not reflecting the values, practices, and culture of the kingdom of God, but were a reflection just of the people of the day. And so Paul writes to bring them back into alignment with the way of Jesus. Last time I shared uh, out of 1 Corinthians, I quoted Leslie Newbegin. I'll quote him a few times today, but he wisely said this, the choice of the church in every age will always be Will our identity be shaped by Scripture or by our culture, by the biblical story or the cultural story? And I believe that this really is the question that each generation of the church has to ask themselves. It is the duty of every generation to rediscover the faith and to, as it were, kind of move the ball down the field uh, to continue to write the story of God. Will we do that being shaped by scripture? Will we do that being shaped by our culture? Now, the specific context of our section this morning is that the Corinthians were making cult leaders of the apostles. They were using their personalities and giftings to differentiate between groups of the church. They're creating their own hierarchy, they're creating their own caste system. And this had all sorts of implications for the Corinthians, for their own spiritual formation for their community witness, and of course, for the reputation of Jesus in the gospel. Now, in our last section, Paul reminded the Corinthians that the church belongs to God, not to them, and definitely not to any apostle or pastors or even group of pastors. The church is God's temple, his dwelling place. It belongs to him. It's his building project. And therefore, everyone who builds the church must be careful, cautious how they are building upon that foundation that has been laid, the foundation of Jesus Christ, because one day God, like a building inspector, is going to test the work. And on that day, the work will be proven whether it is a good work or shoddy work. Whether the work bears the image of Jesus or it bears the image of something else. And so Paul now continues this metaphor of God's temple or God's house. And Paul talks about this identity that he has. And so I want to unpack this section for us and bring some understanding and application of what this is all about. Because I think there is a lot of confusion about this section. So let's talk about it. Paul continues with the metaphor of God's temple or God's house. And so Paul, he wants to reestablish his identity in Corinth. Because as I said, there's been a lot of confusion among the Corinthians. So he says this, this is how we apostles should be regarded. Servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. Or as some translations say, stewards of the household of God. So the Corinthians were using the wrong measurements to judge Paul and the other apostles. As I said, they were using the values and standards of the Greco-Roman culture. And it even seems that Corinth had its own kind of celebrity culture. It was around the different philosophers that would travel around Greece. And they would attach themselves to kind of the coattails and popularity of these different Stoic or whatever other philosophical group. They'd attach themselves to them. And that's how they had clout. That's how they attach themselves to some celebrity or some hierarchy. And they were using this for their own desires for authority, their own status in the church, and it seems their own status in the Corinthian community as well. And so Paul makes it clear, and this is my own paraphrase, I am not doing what I'm doing for you or for your approval, I'm not even doing this for me or my own self-approval or self-justification. I'm doing this for Jesus. He and his approval is all that matters to me. See, Paul is a servant of Jesus. He's like a household manager of Jesus's house. So then the only thing that matters is that the master of the house is happy with the work? It really doesn't matter what the other servants of that house think. It doesn't matter what other stewards in the house think. It doesn't matter what the masters of other houses think. All that matters is pleasing the master. All that matters is pleasing Jesus. Now, of course, this brings up all sorts of questions, and I think, Miss. Understandings of what Paul is actually teaching here. So let's talk about a couple of those. Is Paul basically saying, No one can judge me but God? Yes and no. Paul isn't talking about sin or morality. Just to be clear, he's talking about identity and calling. Just in case we think that these verses can be used to somehow justify whatever we want to do, however we want to live. Is Paul teaching justification by works? No. He's talking about the judgment of our good works, whether they will receive commendation from the Lord, or they will be found to have been done for ourselves and the approval of others. Now because of Paul's solidness or firmness of his identity, his clear sense of calling and purpose, he is unmoved and undeterred by the Corinthians' low or high estimation of him. Paul even goes on to say that he actually isn't moved, motivated, or ultimately discouraged by his own estimation or judgment of himself. He doesn't even do that anymore. Paul is unwavering. Resolute. Now, this is incredible, and I think somewhat unsettling for some of us. Paul seems pretty arrogant and self confident, even as he's warning the Corinthians of the danger of arrogance and self confidence. Doesn't he? What is this? Well, I think we need to understand the difference between pride and humility. I think sometimes we can mistake pride for what is actually true humility. Because true humility carries a confidence that can be mistaken for pride. You see, true humility is having a right assessment of our strengths and our weaknesses. It is to know who we are and also who we are not. Pride or false humility is when we camp out or get stuck on either our strengths or our weaknesses. Paul is talking about having such a clear understanding of his identity in Christ, his calling and mission, that the only one he cares about ultimately pleasing is Jesus himself. Now, far from that being a just Jesus and me, privatized religion, no one can judge me but God type of mentality, Paul's life is one that is outward facing, others centered. It's a life that's lived for Christ. It's a life that's lived through Christ. And we've pointed this out in previous studies. Paul's life is all about putting the life of Jesus and the values of the kingdom of God on display. Paul's life, because it is Jesus-centered, is all about pleasing Jesus. And so it's a life lived in the service of others. So I think it's important for us to consider how Paul got how Paul kept this clear-headedness about his own identity and calling. Why? Because in our day and age, and I don't, I mean, I don't think that this is unique to our day and age, but there are a thousand voices telling us who we are, what we're to be doing. What is the most important thing? What life is all about? What you should be prioritizing? What is worthy of our time, our focus, and sacrifice? And so the question is, how do we as followers of Jesus keep the mental fortitude to stay clear on our identity and calling? How do we stay clear, headed? Where did Paul get this? And how can we have that same resoluteness to not be ultimately moved by what others think of us or even what we think about ourselves? Let's talk about Paul and how he found his own identity. Listen to the introduction of Romans. Romans 1, 1-7, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart and apostleship, listen to this, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ and to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here, writing to the Romans, he talks about his mission He talks about his calling. He talks about his identity. I received grace and apostleship. What is that? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The obedience of faith for the sake of his name. This is what Paul was about. Now remember Paul's backstory. Paul had once been a Pharisee a radical persecutor of the church. Paul said in one of his letters that he had been zealous for the tradition of his fathers. And in other places, he speaks of this same zeal. Now, many believe that this refers to the zeal of Phineas. How many of you guys remember the story of Phineas? So there's this story about how the Midianite women came into the camp. This is this plan so that they will be led away into idolatry and then they'll be judged by God. Well, it works, right? And so there is this man, Phineas. He is the grandson of Aaron. And he sees what's happening, that this transgression is, going to, is leading the people into idolatry, and it is actually the judgment of God is broken out in the camp of Israel. And so what he does, this is one of those, like, I cannot believe this is in the Bible stories, right? The, we don't tell this in the flannel graph in Sunday school, so don't worry, you won't have to tell us one. Um, but he chases down this man and this woman into their tent, and as they're having sex, he takes a spear and he runs both of them through. And doing this stops the judgment and the plague that had broken out among the people of God. And then God speaks, and he talks about how Phineas' zeal has stopped the judgment, and this is accounted to him as righteousness. And now as the story goes on in Israel's history, Phineas becomes this hero of Israel. This man's zeal for God, this man's zeal for righteousness has stayed the judgment of God. He has stopped idolatry. And he has saved God's people from judgment. Well, guess what? This man is Paul's hero. Yeah, if you go into, you know, teenage Paul's bedroom there in Syria, he's the poster on the wall or whatever, the mosaic on the wall, right? This is who he looks up to. This is who he wants to be like. The one who put a stop to the false worship and idolatry that broke out among the Israelites and stayed the judgment of God. And so fast forward. In Paul's understanding, Jesus was a false prophet and false messiah. Specifically because Jesus was crucified. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He was leading God's people astray, which would bring the judgment of God, which would prolong the exile of Israel. The solution? Stop, imprison, or kill anyone who follows the false Messiah. Protect and preserve the people of God from sin and evil at all cost. This is who Paul is. This is what Paul is about. He's going from Jerusalem all the way to Damascus carrying letters so that he can carry this out. But then what happened is as Paul journeys on his way to arrest Jesus' followers, he meets the risen, glorified Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed everything. Because if Jesus is not dead, but is alive glorified we're told that he shines brighter than the new day sun this is the shekinah glory of god from the old testament being seen in the new testament this is proof that jesus was in fact the son of man the messianic figure to whom yahweh would grant the nations the power the authority he's the king of israel He now rules at the right hand of Yahweh. And this means that all the promises of what God intended for Israel, the end of exile, the staying of the judgment, the redemption, the rescue had come about. Jesus was Israel's true and long-awaited king, the savior, the one who redeems Israel. God had done it. He had done what he had always promised to do for Israel to install himself as king to rescue and redeem Israel from their sins and then to bring in the nations to worship the one true king. You guys, this moment becomes the defining moment of Paul's life. It becomes his vision and greatest passion because of his understanding of the greatness of God's love. What God had accomplished through Jesus. His goal then was to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations for the sake of Jesus' name. Everywhere he went, this is what Paul was all about. Making known the lordship of Jesus Christ, it is all over the book of Acts. It is all over the epistles that Jesus is king. So knowing Jesus, making him known, pleasing him became the new operating principle of Paul's life. Nothing mattered more than this. This was the meaning of life for Paul, even if that meant radical suffering, and it often did. Listen to him in Philippians 3. I want to know Jesus. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. the expulsive power of a greater affection. But Phineas had been Paul's hero growing up. But on that day, on that road to Damascus, I'll tell you, Paul had a new hero. He had a new goal. He had a new reason for being, for doing, for living, for suffering, for dying. And it was Jesus Christ, the true king of Israel. And after that, everything was about Jesus. Everything was about pleasing Jesus. Everything was about modeling his life after Jesus in every way that he could. This is who and what Paul is all about. And it's as if Paul now turns his focus back to the church at Corinth to say, I follow Jesus, the crucified king. Corinthians, who and what are you all about? So I'll ask us before I read this section, who and what are we all about? Paul, with dripping irony, describes himself and other apostles in contrast to the prosperity and celebrity culture that the Corinthians are modeling their lives after. Again, my paraphrase, he says, we apostles are like prisoners of war at the end of the procession. We are like those condemned to die in the arena. Remember, this is where the gladiators would fight brutal battles, chopping off limbs. It was just gore and blood and guts. It was a show. He says, we're a spectacle for the whole cosmos, for both angels and humans. We are fools for Christ, weak, Dishonored, hungry, and thirsty, wearing rags and brutally treated, without homes, working hard with our own hands, cursed, but always blessing, persecuted, yet enduring, slandered, and answering kindly. The scum of the earth and garbage of the world. And then Paul masterfully adds a personal note. Corinthians. I am your father in the faith. And though you may have had a lot of babysitters in recent years, you only have one father. I brought you into the gospel. So see, Paul's point here is to remind the Corinthians that whatever they've been taught by others, it's evident that is inconsistent with the fact that we are following a once-crucified king. A king the world rejected, mocked, and murdered. The question for ourselves is, the question for the church in Corinth is, does the church bear the reproach, the sufferings, the image of our king, or does it look like the typical leaders, authorities, and rulers of this world? I've mentioned this before. But it is so easy to make a Jesus after our likeness.
0: For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. Does God Really Exist? And if he does, why is there so much suffering in the world? Doesn't science actually disprove the Bible? So how can we even trust what the Bible says? What proof is there that Jesus really rose from the dead? If you've ever wondered about these questions, then this month's book, Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little, will help you answer these very questions and many others. If you want to wrestle with your own questions or the questions of others about the practical implications of the Christian faith, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Know You Believe by Paul E. Little is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from our guest pastor, Char Broderson, as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians.